Welcome to another episode of Reptile Fight Club. Welcome. I'm Justin Julander, Australian Addiction Reptiles. And with me as always, Mr. Chuck Boland. Back again, trying to win. How y'all doing? <laughs> All right. Well, things going well. Things are good. Um, so Good fourth. Yeah, good fourth. Uh, got uh, the honor and the privilege to... Uh, do uh, an episode of Lizard Brain Radio with Bill Bradley, and that that was oh, yeah. awesome. Um, man, I just I love the way his mind works, and it's always such good conversation. And um, you know, we just had a good time. And, uh, and then yeah, watch fireworks for the fourth. Uh, and I started uh, my outdoor diamond python cage. Um, so that's cool. I'm, I'm very cool. Yeah. So I've got, I've got, um, like two, a two by six back panel and then like maybe like a two by almost four, two, two by four side panels, uh, that I'm going to try to do rock, rock work on. Um, so Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. And, you know, the panels are plywood. So I am kind of thinking about, um, maybe trying fiberglass, uh, figuring out how to do some some molds and then uh do some some glass and resin um we mm-hmm. we work a lot at that with that stuff at work so um i've got some some oh, yeah, pretty good right up your alley yeah yep so yeah. um and then yeah oh uh and some not so good news uh i when i was putting the plywood in my truck i must have lifted and twisted because i hurt my back and my back is jacked and i just want to take a minute to talk to all of you young uh reptile fight club (laughs) enthusiasts always stretch before you fight um and take good care of your back because i am only 45 and i am currently walking around like i am 95 years old so be cherish care- it yes be cherish it be careful with your back because <laughs> once you jack it up and i do this like my back i i and it's always some kind of an like not even like crazy you know not benign but not crazy i wasn't lifting heavy weight but it was a lifting twisting motion and mm-hmm. you know if if you have to do back safety for work, you know that lifting twisty motion is what gets you every time. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah. So trying to <laughs> trying to not look like an idiot every time I have to stand up or move or get out of into the car or you know, making old man noises all the time now. It's it's bad. It's bad. So. It makes life pleasant, oh, doesn't it? Getting man. older. It's, it's a joy. Yeah. There's I mean it's yeah. there's no you know. That people say getting into your older years are nice because you know you've, you've you've you're set up in life and things, but there is definitely the non glamorous side of growing old. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. How about you, man? <laughs> how what? Uh, how was the fourth? Yeah, uh, it was nice. We uh, went to my in laws and basically just hung out in the pool all you know evening. That is what's Watched up. Watched the fireworks from the water. Yeah, it was really a, a nice day. Mm-hmm. Uh, good food, man. My brother-in-law prepared some like wago beef or something wago or uh yeah yeah wagyu 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 Wagyu. i I don't know what it was was tasty yeah for sure (laughs) some some good broads yeah it was a it was a nice day that's very high brow you know (laughs) yeah yeah he i i didn't hear the story of where he got it but i think it was something with work you know he's he's out whining and dining these uh 
he's like a salesman so nice. he is a salesman not nice. like one yeah. but uh so he yeah he sometimes gets these <laughs> really sweet uh deal or extra beef or whatever yeah. you know hookups yeah yeah so he's nice. got the hookups for is sure. it hot where you're yeah. at right now or yeah it's been pretty warm over here um i mean luckily the nights cool down mm-hmm. nicely but uh yeah it's been pretty pretty warm a little bit of wind you said you uh, said got to spend time at the pool like that was a real like that was a real i mean not that any time at the pool is bad but the best time yeah. at the pool is when it's hot as satan's oh, yeah. butt so yeah and they've got a pretty sweet setup, so they had like a bunch of shade umbrellas and stuff, so you could sit in the shade in the water nice. or sit in the sun. So, so the kids had fun, nice and the adults got oh, to yeah. sit in the shade and <laughs> yeah, enjoy. Yep, exactly. I mean, I was in the pool. Of most course, of the time. you were. You're a fish. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a Anybody who doesn't know <laughs> yeah. know you uh, doesn't know what a fish you are. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was fun. But yeah, I kind of I messed up my neck. I cricked my neck. It, it kind of went away last night while I was asleep, and, but it was you know nothing too strenuous or anything. I just moved it wrong or I'm something. Telling you, man. I, you know, See that whole thing like you got the stiff yeah. neck. You got to turn your whole body. That's kinda, the worst. Yeah, not fun. No, nope. it doesn't feel good. That's for sure. Hey, I you know I can't complain though. I feel pretty good for how old am I? Forty seven. Yeah. You know? That's about good. 50 years old i'm closer to 50 now it's i know it's pretty crazy it's nuts man i always thought 40 was old but yeah. 40 is not old no man. well now that i'm so. 45 i'm like oh man i feel bad i ever said anything about anybody who was <laughs> my age right. now and i like don't yeah. you know i don't feel like i'm old but like there's just no. certain times where you're like oh my god is this yeah. what being old you is gonna feel, feel like sometimes. like you're like oh mm-hmm. crap this is not yeah. good this is not good. Went and played a little pickle, pickleball with my daughter. Oh man, that is an old yeah. dude. That is an old person activity. It is. My, it is. But like, my I was mom still plays pretty pickleball. Sore that night, yeah, my mom know, plays like, pickleball. <laughs> and we were playing singles, so it's a lot more running and gotcha know, diving for you know to save the. I don't think my mom plays back. that kind of pickleball. Mm, yeah, my yeah. mom. She's the doubles where you yeah, stand in front yeah, of the I don't, and just hit it back and forth. I can't even imagine yeah. my mom diving for. There would be broken uh-huh. hips and all kinds of bad things for that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not. It's good. a fun sport though. I think it covers yeah. a nice range of ages. You know, you can still play, but yeah, I get a little intense. That's good. That. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm a competitive guy. Oh, don't don't have <laughs> yeah, to tell I, me, man. Yeah, I don't, don't you almost pushed me down it. trying to run for that snake. <laughs> I know how you are. You're not getting there first. Take that. Pow. Ah! <laughs> Push me down the cliff, I dare you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh you know it, it it bleeds into a lot of things, but <laughs> Oh I know. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, that's the reason that you know I wanna stay in good shape is so you can be, one so I can eat stuff I wanna eat. That's but right. also you can so I can to the herp when yeah. I'm older and you know yeah. and, and and still be able to flip rocks or, you know, whatever. Or so, push Chuck down get a cliff. That herping in. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 How are the how are them Babel Coastals doing? They're doing really well. Um I've gotten four, maybe five of them to eat. Uh I think oh, almost nice. all of them That's have cool. shed. Um mm-hmm. some really I mean I I think I sent you a picture not too long ago but the Yeah. really nice some looking really snake. nice reds in there, man. Uh <laughs> That's cool. Pretty yeah, pretty stuff. I love the reds. Yeah. yeah That's it's uh and you know the Camus is the is the founding red line um, from mm-hmm. Luke Snell, who back in the day produced some of the 
nicest reds that people had seen. So um, not mm-hmm. not surprised. There's awesome reds in there, but yeah, pretty pretty stoked. Um, yeah, just uh, you know, starting to feed snakes around here again and uh, mm-hmm. getting getting. Um, yeah, I'm starting. I'm actually starting uh, all of the Tracier onto rats now. So okay. I'm going to really probably put some size on them this year a little bit. Do they switch over pretty well? Like they don't have any issues? I haven't had, you know, the hardest The hardest thing was the ones. So it's weird. Like I, I, I have had really no feeding issues once they started. Um, mm-hmm. And I would They're say, yeah, I would say once, you know, and, and I would say Tracier in general, uh, once they're kind of adjusted and, and acting, you know, a little bit, um, you know, well established. They're they're food smashers like any scrub. So um, mm-hmm. I've never really had major issues with feeding. I had a few babies in in each clutch that were tough tough feeders. Uh, just didn't mm-hmm. you know? Just didn't want to eat. Um, had to assist feed a couple, two of the first mm-hmm. clutch, uh, and you know they 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 were you know they would they would eat the assist feeding eat, and then eventually they they started eating, and now now they're fine. Yeah. So That's yeah, cool. I mean pretty pretty typical. Once they go, yeah, they go. Pretty typical yeah. story, um, but yeah, once they go, they kind of go, and uh, yeah. thankfully I'm. I, I don't want to have have blackhead problems or some of the problems you <laughs> yeah. have with, you know, no, ant, just, ant hills yeah. or, you know. And you started off in the blackheads and no, yeah, they didn't take on their first, you know, try. That so. would be, you know, yeah. I feel like that <laughs> would be, be that would be kind of the payback gift for only getting two eggs is if they <laughs> yeah, both ate right. on they the first shot. Start eating on yeah. no problem. That would be yeah. like, all right, okay, we'll take this year, we're fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you know, we'll see how it goes, but I'll probably resort to assist feeding here soon. They didn't seem to have like the big belly that everybody describes hmm. and that you know, I've seen in pictures like they didn't have like a huge fat belly when they were when they hatched. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't know uh you know what that means, but it's uh it'll be interesting to see how that goes, and, I guess. And but. and you didn't I mean, you didn't cook them really hot or really cold like you were pretty middle of the road and yeah i mean yeah i mean i said it at 89 but i think it was actually like 87 mm-hmm. 88 somewhere on there um i need to get more just put thermometers everywhere you know have one in each nesting box or something did you, or, or did egg you, incubation box. you didn't pick jordan's brain at all when we were out huh I know I should have. Yeah, you should, should have done that more. I mean, I've been texting him and asking yeah. him lots of questions. I since. figured. Yeah, I figured. Oh yeah, he's he's the he's the man. Of so. course, yeah. <laughs> I, I, he um, gets high praise. Yeah, I, I did uh, start uh, offering to the uh, Anteresia. So I have a, a clutch of uh, uh, Eastern stems that hatched nice. out and that are and that are all set up individually, and they half of them took on the first try so yeah it started out nicely uh with the eastern stems so um i've got some westerns that i just set up this last weekend and so hopefully they'll they'll go as well the westerns seem to be a little bit trickier than the easterns but you know once they get going they're fine yeah they're not too bad there's a few tricks that work with westerns that i you know haven't really haven't really worked globally you know they mm-hmm. worked really well for the westerns but not most of the other stuff so it's kind of weird how that works you know you get certain <laughs> tricks that work for some and not others but 
what do you do? You, you, Snakes. You move forward and you don't look at the gift horse in the mouth, right? There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Did I did I talk about the Hosmeri last time? Uh, where I was checking the cage and yes. there was one missing. Yeah. So she's been she's still in the cage and she's and, uh, and you doing, have doing your eye now, dead on her now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now I make sure that door is shut. But definitely, um, she she's I, I'm pretty sure she remembers being out, and so she's looking for a way to get back mm-hmm. out. So yeah, it's kind of funny that way, but. What do you do? I finally got them all set up. I got the three Gurnia cages and, and the UV lights, so they come out and bask under the UV. I just have it come on for a couple hours a day in the morning and then the evening. I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but that's the way. What I'm kind of do UV it. are you using? Are you using the Arcadia? You're using the yeah, Arcadia? Yeah, the four foot uh, fixture with the bulb, that, so it runs across all three cages. Yeah. Yeah, of Agernia. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I and the baby. Uh, I like that uh, when you're using multiple cage setups. It's kind of nice. Yeah, and so yeah, I've just got it on the timer to come on for a few hours. Are you running like a six percent? Um, I think it's uh, a nine, a nine or fourteen, something. like The fourteen that. is the like the well, I guess the, it's the, not. The de- I don't think it's the desert. The, that's yeah. like the desert extreme one or whatever. It's, I think I got the middle of the road. Okay, one. I didn't get so the it's like a twelve. One, it's like a twelve. Yeah, I think it's like, like six, eight, twelve, maybe fourteen. Maybe I'm yeah, maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe it was the eight. I I I got the one that was recommended for your, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know type type yeah. species so. i mean they do pretty it's, good they do pretty good with sure with yeah. uh and, and they've got some distance yeah. under it so it's not too close. and they're using so. they're using the the um the the rock wall faces or yeah yeah it's kind of cool. cool to watch them cruise across there i i threw the tree skinks in their new cage and they went right up the i, I made some kind of fake tree limbs that are attached to mm-hmm. the back wall you know they're they're foam and then with tile grout over them and made to look like real trees or whatever nice. it worked out pretty well yeah. i put some real cork bark uh on there so it would nice. kind of have like you know they could kind of go under the bark a little bit yeah i don't know how how well that that'll function but they can climb up it and they've they've been enjoying it they've been in, uh, crawling around i threw in some like a little branch with some oak leaves in the depressa cage the other day and you know, just to give them something new to yeah. check out, a little enrichment, and and just start doing that with the others as well. Like, just give them a little branch of leaves or something. And you're not doing any type of uh, like a bioactive in there, right? Like, it's not not really. No, it's not really set up for bioactive. But I, you know, most people like most people think you throw a few uh, pill bugs in there. What you know, and it's a bioactive. Yeah, but, no. you know. It's more than more than that, it is. And, and these are you know probably a little on the small side for a bioactive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a lot of height, but not a lot of depth. not a, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. Uh, the floor space is yeah. it's higher than wider, I guess you'd say. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's fun, and I've got this you know the the wise cameras or whatever oh yeah on it so i can open up the wise app <laughs> at work and watch my <laughs> i was doing that while i was waiting for my wife to she's like is she in there watching. is she in there okay yeah. she's in there all right cool, cool oh yeah she was doing like the treadmill trying to find a way out of the cage you know crawling on the glass or whatever it's pretty funny but yeah she's she's looking to get back out i guess i don't know why it's not like there's uh, great conditions out there for her so you know, but I don't know. Maybe that'll be part of our discussion today. Reptiles so, making uh, good choices. Thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. maybe. Who's to say? Um, 
Yeah. No, I had an uh, interesting discussion with uh, Mike Plank, and nice. you know, he keeps a lot of Vigernia. So mm-hmm. I, was, I was calling to ask him if I should leave the baby in with the, the parents, the baby depressa. And uh, he thought that would be appropriate, you know, because there's only one baby. He said if there were more, maybe separate them out. But where there's just one, it'd probably be beneficial to have. And they, what, they just beat the babies up if there's too many of them? Or what? The, it's I, just I, I don't know. I think it's more of a, like they're a communal lizard. Uh-huh. So they kind of like the presence of others or something. Yeah. I don't know, something like that, you know. Yeah. We, when we found those, uh, the Signitos, they were together as a pair in a single rock outcrop in, in Western Australia. So that was kind of interesting, you know, to see that in action in the wild where they were both under the same rock, you know, right next to each mm-hmm. other. Um, so, you know, they're, they're more of a, a communal lizard that a lot of the Egernia are, yeah. especially some species are, are very communal, you know, the Gigi skinks and those kind of things. Um, but yeah, some, some are less than others. And my, st- um, we didn't really, we we did find some depressa kind of close in close proximity or in the in the same tree crack it seems but um, they they seem to be more find one here find one there kind of thing but yeah my standing day so. geckos are a, are a little communal and it's funny because I have mm-hmm. I have five juveniles in in one big eco and um, they mm-hmm. they two of them it's almost like they pair up and, and there's there's two yeah. sets that are together all the time and one of them will like put his you know, put his pad over the other one like they're like buddies, and I, it's just it's hilarious, man. They they have yeah. such f- funny personalities, but um, but it's neat. It's neat to see those kind of behaviors when you yeah, when you kind of are like, man, they, they they like totally pair bond. And I mean, I've seen hmm. like almost like pair bonding kind of behavior in uh, in other you know stuff that you wouldn't kind of think like you know. Um, I I feel hmm. like my Tracy a prefer what you know one male. Uh, the female prefers one male over the other, um, and they tend yeah. to hang out all the time, whereas is not so much with the other. But once in a while, you know. So I'm like, yeah. is that a thing? Is that like me? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anthropomorphism or could be. A, yeah, could be. I don't know though. It's, you know, I think definitely there are definitely some social lizards, and and oh, those definitely. day geckos definitely appear to be yeah. <laughs> social animals. Like you, you find them in the wild in colonies. Yeah, you know? yeah. That and, was kind of the and it's interesting about, though because uh, I would say yeah. Grandis is not a communal, not mm. at all. Like mm-hmm. you can keep them in pairs, and that's it. Like if you or, or they just have a larger, you know, yeah, ter- comfort zone. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So, it, I mean, so in, if they're on a 60 foot tree they can have you know five or six individuals but they have a little more of a but they're definitely very place to escape yeah very territorial um so if Mm -hmm. you know if it makes sense territorial wise they're probably okay but we in captivity you do not want to do that and yeah that was uh, fun you know in hawaii like we were in this resort with my Mm in-laws and and i I spent more time probably looking at the geckos on the on the trees and stuff but yeah you'd see a male and several females kind of all just hanging out together and you know they'd they'd interact a little bit or chase each other a little or you know but they'd you know hang out pretty close to each other so i i think i got a picture of like six or seven in the same shot Mm -hmm. you know all all on one tree next to like a beach chair you know they're just very comfortable with people and, and you know they, they have their yeah. comfort zone you get too close well, and, and they take off and, and you wonder what you know being in a cage does for 
for their mm-hmm. territory. I mean, like, you know, if, if, if it, it would be the difference of having a territory where you could let others come and go from rather than having a restricted territory of four walls and then something gets in there. It, it, you know what I mean? Like they, yeah, I would view that differently if I were them. Um, so I could mm. see why. Yeah, that's the the trick, I guess. I that was kind of part of this conversation with Mike Plank was trying to decide if keeping them outside was better than keeping them inside. Because a lot of times, you know, you keep stuff outside and it just turns neurotic and it like <laughs> thinks everything's out to get them, mm-hmm. so it acts more wild and hides a lot. And you don't know if that's gonna be better or worse for for breeding you know if yeah. if you're yeah worried about that aspect of it and um you know so but but he was he was uh thinking that they did better outdoors like hmm. they had babies more often they ate probably less food outdoors which was interesting to me you know that they would do better out, outside in a in an outside setting um, now he's in Southern California. Yeah. I don't know if it would work the same out here and, and I couldn't keep him outside for, you know, the majority of the year, but yeah, pretty cool. And I'm pretty sure he brings him in if, if weather is well, too, too rough. When you're doing really, really well with them and you just have too many, you can send me some and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> you can put them out. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. And then just send me the babies <laughs> every year. <you> know, so. <laughs> we could work that out. We could work that out. Yeah, that'd be fun to have it. Yeah, that's. I mean, I I think that's kind of like a lot of herb keepers' dreams is to keep stuff in an outdoor setting. You know, just because you can do more outdoors as far as making a naturalistic enclosure, seeing more wild type behaviors. I I think the trick for me is is keeping as much stuff outside as I possibly can without my neighbors calling animal control on me. That's yeah. the trick. That's going to be the... You just have to make it look like a compost. That's uh, right. You know. Yeah. Turn a, a commune into a compost. Yeah, a compost bin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like, oh, it's my compost bin. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Oh, there was a snake on there? How interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's probably a gopher Cal- snake. Cow king, native. probably. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. They're around... Good times, good times. Well, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, are you, do you have any plans to? Are you, are you moving all the babies? Or are you keeping any back uh, for your for the coastals? Yeah, coastals? I'm probably gonna hold. I'll probably hold a pair back. Uh, I've had a couple mm-hmm. people contact me wanting to do some trades. Um, nice. So yeah, I want to. Camus has got to be getting up there in age, right? Yeah, he's pretty old. Pretty old. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah. I mean, I definitely want to hold back just so. I can keep that going um, mm-hmm. if, if something were to happen to either one of the, the adults. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I and, and you know, man, I feel like I, I got to, I mean, I, I got to buy new caging for all the tracier that I'm keeping uh, to, to breed. And past mm-hmm. that, I feel like, well, where's all the extra room that I have? I don't have a lot of extra room for tons <laughs> yeah. of snakes. So it's kind of like. As much as I'd want to hold, you know, I want to do that, like, you know, breeder thing where you're like, I'm going to hold this back. I'm going to hold that back. I want to keep this. This will be great. I got this plan, that plan. It's like, I got to, like, reel in some of my, uh, either that or I got to get a warehouse out here in Southern California and figure that out. (laughs) Yeah, that that wouldn't be too expensive. Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just cut cut my arm off, hand it to him. um, with the Tracy, is is the weather where you're at similar to what they experience in the wild, or or they need like more of a tropical humid type 
setting? <sighs> Could you keep them outside, I guess, is my question. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, I mean... I bet I could. It probably mm. wouldn't be ideal. I think. Um, I think. I think. I think the carpet python is probably much more suited to being kept outdoors in Southern California than than you know Somalia. But at the same time, like I, th- I kind of feel like those big-bodied snakes. And, and I, by saying big-bodied, I don't necessarily mean like gigantic constrictor. But they can take kind of. You know, some cooler temperatures as long as you, as long as you kind of have some, some, you know, a pad or something to offset that. They, I think, you know, I could keep them outside. How successful I would be doing that, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've yeah. I've kind of went with the approach of uh, of you know, kind of equatorial steady state, like you know. Roughly that's 79 degrees plus or minus and, you know, when they're when when they need heat, maybe they're at 85, but nothing, you know, nothing, um, nothing that I would say, you know, it's 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 more of a a flat temp uh, kind of idea in in that room. And it works Mm -hmm. really well with the day geckos and a lot of my gecko stuff. So um, that's primarily, you know, one half of my snake room is pretty much going to end up all being Tracy A. The other half will probably be the, the geckos that I have. And, um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I guess I could try to flip it up and uh, start trying to see, you know, different, if 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 they will breed in different temperature regimes, but I'm not really yeah. interested in doing that just yet. I I, sure. I feel like I need to take it back to um, the basics. Yeah, twenty. Yeah, take it back to 2019 and and uh, get get <laughs> well, this and thing I going mean, again. Of anyone, you're the best position to try that out and see if it. You know, to see if it. You've got a. You know, I've got enough yeah. pairs. To I mean, see it, if that would be. And it. I and I I feel like I feel like. Other than the fact that those babies and those adults have grown up in the exact same situation or in the exact same room. So that's the room they're used to. That's what they know. That's what they've grown up with. I feel like I could take those babies, maybe if they hadn't, or even if they had, and put them in a different kind of, you know, thermal regime that's a little bit different than that. And they probably would breed because they're not. You know, we're we're dealing with first generation captive bred animals, not wild caught stuff. I, I yeah. you know, that's my that's kind of my assertion is that they're probably mm-hmm. a little more ready, readily willing to breed in in a little bit different uh, of an environmental setting, and obviously. You know, Southern California and in an inside of a house and maybe in another room in my house probably isn't so crazy of a temperature change that it would be like, oh, this is a no go, you know. So it wouldn't be like even if I did, you know, put them in a bedroom or something, I think they would be fine doing that. But it just doesn't make sense to me if, you know. That's what they've experienced growing up their whole life. And then when you go to go breed them, you're going to stick them somewhere else into a different yeah. kind of thermal regime. And they're going to be like, what's going on here? What is this? Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, that's that's kind of my thought. And But at the same time, like, you know, if, if, if these babies ever do leave, 
when I do start moving stuff, my concern is the ones that have grown up here that leave here, will they do as well versus ones that I hatch out and then sell, you know, shortly after I establish them. I I, I would expect those to do better in other people's hands. It's just Mm -hmm. hard because it's like, you know, not that they have yeah. like a grossly fragile stage, but I feel like there is definitely a stage. And, and you know, I think most snake keepers who know this will, will agree with me that there is a stage where your snakes start to take off and they're 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 much more robust than they are when they're first kind of hatched out. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, I, you know, I think uh, if you're if you can. uh you know, I, I would say if you're going to experiment, you know, maybe start with something a little younger. So if yeah. you put them outside, put them outside when they're you know well established, but young enough that they're a little more uh, malleable, I guess. So yeah, yeah, that's the the trick, I suppose. Yeah, I'm, I I don't know, man. If I stuck those things outside, I, I bet they'd be demons. They'll get nice and warm, <laughs> yeah, and you get all kinds of attitudes out of them, and. For sure, and yeah. it would be a, that'd be they could be crazy. Oh yeah, that'd be a light you snappy up. monsters. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, you ready to fight, or do we have anything else to discuss? Mm, no, I think, I think cut this chit chat crap. Oh you know? <laughs> wow, somebody sounds like they're ready to to stomp ready some to hiney. Throw down. Yeah. <laughs> well. um Let's introduce our topic for today. So, I, you know, we've we've kind of talked about and you know out herping and stuff. We we're running ideas by each other, but kind of the idea that if you go herping a lot, it can make you be a better keeper because you see a lot of different things, you know, and and you can be a better herpeticulturalist if you're a you know a field herper. So that'll be our topic for today. Yes, uh, field herping can make you a better keeper or eh, not so much you know i don't know so what do you think let's should we fight about I that think, yeah yeah i'm down to fight about that let's let's get okay. to the uh ceremonial coin toss justin right. has it yeah. ready now you won the the for nothing coin toss yeah. last week so let's yeah. see what we got this week so call it oh i say that's heads it is tails. Oh, when I it felt counts, like, man, I, I felt get... like, that's all right. I feel like I know what you're going to I thought you were going to get it, frankly. I did but, too, yeah. but. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with the podfather and say, yes, field herping makes you, uh, you know, can give you insights, make you a better field or er, keeper. Yeah. Uh, I'm, cr- I'm cracking my knuckles as we All speak. right. Well, if you're ready to go, you, you give it your best shot. You, why don't you start us out? <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, I guess it kind of depends, you know, on on uh, what your what your field herping like. So if if what you keep is you know Australian carpet pythons and you're out, you know, herping rattlesnakes and lizards and things like that, maybe maybe the experience that you're getting isn't as directly targeted. So it, it makes more sense if you're if you're you know, a keeper of Australian stuff and you go to Australia and herp, then maybe that mm-hmm. makes some sense to me, right? But but just sure. her just going out and herping doesn't always inform um, you know, a better outcome with your captive keeping. I think that's probably how I'd lead. Okay, okay. Well, um 
I mean, granted, yeah, there's something to that, I would say. And, and you know, I think you, you want to make sure you're comparing apples to apples. But at the same time, I mean, there's this thing called convergent evolution where you have similar conditions on, you know, completely different continents that drive the same, you know, adaptations and, and you know, like the horned lizards and the thorny devils in Australia versus North America. So I guess I would maybe counter and say, you know, you could maybe observe a, you know, a, an ant-eating desert lizard and, and say, okay, it's probably similar to what a, what a, a ant-eating desert lizard in another continent would do. And, you know, maybe there's some subtle differences that you might learn later, but I think for the most part you can say, okay, this is a, a an active diurnal lizard. Maybe it's an agamid, but you compare it with like a, a you know, a collared lizard, a crotophytus or something and, and, uh, try to, uh, you know, keep it similarly. So I, I do think there is some benefit to observing, you know, species on a different continent that may be similar in their characteristics or, or requirements to, to the ones that you like in another country, if you're not able to get over to that other country. But I would agree, you know, if you're gonna, you know, keep, animals you want to get to where they, those animals are mm -hmm. and so it definitely would would be helpful um seeing kind of what kind of conditions they're out in you know that's kind of the big i think uh frank reedy's did did that very well where he went um and and took a temp gun with him you know and and everybody was keeping monitor lizards at like 80 degrees with maybe a 90 degree hot spot and everybody thought if you got above 100 that it would cook them you know and he went out and he said these rocks are like 150 degrees in the sun and the monitors are sitting on the rocks so i'm going to give my monitors a 150 degree basking spot on their you know on their basking spot and and they wow they turned into you know monitor lizards and yeah. they acted like monitor lizards you know and they they bred very well and all these things so well, and I, I, made a lot of kind of advances in and i think i think you know, there's there's something to be said for that. At, you know, looking at um, looking at those correlations in the right um, in the right scale of things, in the right scope mm -hmm. of things, and not being too specific. Like, I don't think you, you need to be careful because you know correlation is not causation, right? And so, you know, because mm -hmm. something is like something that is here doesn't mean that it does exactly the same thing because the environment that it comes from is similar, but maybe not the same. So you have to be careful and, and maybe it gives you a broader idea, uh, a larger, um, you know, better way to, to think. But when you get down into the minutia of things, oftentimes that's when stuff would break down for me, you know, in, in my mind of, you know, that's when you really probably have trouble um, saying, ah, this, you know, this does this because that does that. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe. Um, well, I'd go, I'd go back to that Frank Reese example. He, he kind of claims that he learned all these things from uh, king snakes and, and, and kept king snakes different than anybody else I've heard of keeping them. You know, he kept them in these, almost like a trash can with a cage on top so they could go down and burrow down and, you know, have like kind of thermal regulate by going up or down and see, but and I think, but, but I think conditions similar to, but the, I think King snakes taught Frank, 
and I don't mean to speak for Frank, and I'm not trying to say this is what it is, but but it sounds to me like he learned that the thermal you know regulation regimes of king snakes is much different than we thought. So that got him onto North American lizards to think, well, maybe we're wrong about that too. And then he went out with a temp gun and started blowing everybody's stuff up on the North American uh, lizard keepers page. You know what I mean? Like I, I and I think he's well, no, I think he's I'm, right. I think he's right, mm-hmm. but you don't also don't see Frank posting on the Australian Varanids page about North American lizards, right? Because although oh, he does. broadly, he to, well, anyway. I know, but broadly, <laughs> he pissed everybody off in the monitor world. <laughs> but broadly, the point he makes about heating, you know, monitors translates to North American lizards in general, right? For the most part. Is what is kind of where he's, you know, or what you're saying, right? No, what I was saying is that he learned from king snakes. I get that part. How to keep how to keep monitor lizards, you know, that to to to, and he ke- he kept them very similarly, right? Gave them much higher temps than they needed and much lower temps than they needed, and they did very very well. And, and I get, and I yeah, think but but what I'm saying is under- he didn't learn, he, you know. King snakes didn't teach him how to keep monitors. The idea that king snakes maybe didn't exist at the temperatures or preferred temp or were comfortable with temperatures that were way outside what our accepted norms were took him into monitors where he may have observed something and said, ah, this is the same way. And then he started experimenting with that. And lo and behold, he had great success, which the Frank Reitz and, you know, a a lot of people have started to challenge the way we keep a lot of this stuff that we have now thermally. And oh, Mm -hmm. by the way, a lot of it likes it a lot cooler than we thought. You know, some of it likes it a lot warmer than we thought. So, boom, uh, you know, a breakthrough. But again, you know, you can't say that uh, because he was field herping king snakes, all of a sudden he understands how. Now, one led him to the other and he had to figure that out. But I, I don't, I mean, I. I I don't know, man. I think you get yourself into trouble doing that. And and that's the case. You could just, you know, you you can you can start making all kinds of assertions and try them out. And when they're successful, you say, ah, see, yes, field herping did this for me because I noticed this in a rosy boa and I applied it to, you know, Chuck Wallace. And there we go. We're off to the races because they're both found out in the same kind of area. Like, well, okay, but I mean. Maybe you just stumbled into that. Maybe you're not really yeah. making, you know. Maybe that's not as fair of a. Um, I guess I'm I'm talking generalizations, right? Okay. I mean, you can you can probably have a blot a broadly apl- applicable um, uh, idea that that applies to reptiles in general. I'll give like, I give you that. You know the 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 benefit of giving them a range of choices. You know, and and that's very difficult to do in a tub or a you know a four by two cage, um, and so I think a lot of people say, well, great, but I don't have a, a room size cage for all the animals I keep or whatnot, mm-hmm. which they do in nature. Right? They have they have unlimited space to some extent uh, that they can choose a lot of different places to go, and so I think that's the the key there that I was trying to bring up. Um, 
is that you know you can have a broadly applicable thing that you observe in nature and say well these things come from the same area what what keeps them in this spot you know it seems like they 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 don't come out during the full sun. So why are they in such a hot desert, you know, environment or whatever? So they, you know, kind of find, well, a lot of the, you know, lizards that are out in the middle, they're not out in the middle of the day either. They're not enjoying the, the full, you know, heat of the sun. They'll sit in shade or they'll sit in a rock crack or something like that. But but at the same time, you'll see them in the morning and the evening. Couldn't you, couldn't you inform the reverse of that where, you say, well, I saw this Chuckwalla out on the rock in the middle of the day. Therefore, mm-hmm. Chuckwallas must just like to sun themselves in the heat of the day all day, mm-hmm. and that must be what that is. So the idea that yeah. just because sure. you find something situationally does not necessarily mean that that is the situation that the animal prefers. It may just have been – so. Being careful in the observations that you make, that one observation does not Mm -hmm. support a conclusion, but multiple observations of the same behavior over time may lead you to a better conclusion, right? Yeah, and I think that's the strongest argument for your side is that a lot of times when we field herp, we get a glimpse of one animal for an hour or two if you're really dedicated to sticking around that animal. And you're seeing them like on the roadside or, you know, on on a rock or something. And you can watch them for a bit and kind of learn something. But unless you're getting out there a lot... Mm You're probably not getting a lot of um, useful information, yeah. I guess. Well, so and, I would and, say and, if you're, and, you, you know, know, the may- more you herp, the more information you can gather, yeah. and potentially the better way you can keep them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I, I just think like you know, I, I think a lot of animal behavior tends to be dependent on what's happening at the time, right? So true. you know, animals are gonna, you know, maybe more be apt to be on the road. Um, when it's cooler and they can they can kind of catch some of that extra heat off the road later, that would make you think that they're more active at night or that they're seeking out. You know, I, I don't know what you, whatever conclusion you might want to draw from that. When when you know, in fact, they you know they they're they're not apt to be on the road. It's just you were out there at a time when it was cooler and they were just looking, you know, they just happened to be by the road and the road was warmer than anything else at the time. So that's why you found them. You know what I mean like I don't know. I don't feel like sure. I gave a yeah. good example there, but no, you know, I mean you're, you're you're right. Like it's just a snapshot. So yeah. you know, reading too much into it can be just as dangerous as reading too little into it. That's I guess. what I'm and, saying. You know, yeah. yeah. So so if we if we take um, our observations and those of others, and you know, you can kind of combine combine information and. And that's why you know it's uh, citizen science is useful and and publishing observations is is useful and why journals like you know herpetical herpetological review um, why that has a section in there for just people to to publish a very you know couple paragraph um, uh, publication on their observation of a in a given situation so it may just be a one off but it, you know the more people that observe these things. 
the more information we can glean, you know. So, and you know, animals are are dynamic, so they may change their behaviors over the years, and they may change their behaviors during their lifetime. Um, so, it's it's definitely important to to consider that. And so, you know, but but I think the person who's out there watching them day in and day out, kind of like a, a Frank Reedy's type, you know, mm-hmm. that's out there watching his desert iguanas, and you know, his his interpretations may be strange to some, or maybe off, but I think he's gleaning a lot of information that could be very helpful to keeping them in captivity. And he's, you know, successful with desert lizards because he's out in the desert watching desert lizards. You know, well, and I think I think if you and, and this is just me and I, you know, I I'm not a strict, you know, Frank Reedy's, uh, you know, follower or whatever. But you know, I no, think I'm I not, think I'm not either. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. like. You know, I think Frank's out there every day. He's taking, he's, he's making these observations and he's posting all the time. So he's mm-hmm. almost like, like a running, like kind of a, uh, like, like, uh, you know, like conclusions in flux while it's happening. And he's making these. And so he draws in some of these like really good kind of hard conclusions because he's out there a lot and he sees certain things where he's like, yes, I've seen this a hundred times. And that's, you see, there's Ruby. But, uh, (laughs) you know, this is what I see. And and people are like, oh, okay. But then he sees something, you know, he's seen it before and he says, and this is this. And people are like, yeah. But he's seen it. So in his mind, it's, you know, and so it, like, I think, I guess I'm trying to say, like, you can almost see kind of the, the leisurely kind of conclusions, which may be premature, right along in with the stuff that's like, I've seen this a hundred times. This is what this is. Uh, and I think you have to be careful with those kinds of things. And I think that's partially why a lot of people give Frank so much crap is because some stuff he's probably pretty right on. He's probably right on the head with it. Some of it may be, you know, people who've seen a lot of it are like, eh, I don't know, man. That's what you're seeing. I don't see that. Or I I think it's his delivery and well, I mean, that's he'll challenge folks and just yeah. say, Oh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Kind of right. you know, he's very blunt and very you know, he challenges anything anybody says. So that can be very frustrating. It's like talking to me sometimes, I guess. But um you know, we we uh I, I guess thinking scientifically, you know, what you need to do is formulate a hypothesis and say, this is what I think is going on. And then you need to make more observations to see if it supports your hypothesis or refutes your hypothesis. And you have to be open to other individuals who come up with, you know, observations that either support or refute your hypothesis as well. And so that's kind of where that, uh, uh, you know, things maybe some some of the things Frank does breaks down a bit, mm-hmm. where he's he's challenging people too much or or refuting their observations prematurely when he should be maybe considering. But but that's but, and that's what I'm saying you know. is because because Frank has something he's seen that makes him mm-hmm. convinced that they're they don't know what they're talking about or that he is right and they're wrong and yeah. you know ignoring yeah, other be, people's it, you're kind of. I don't know. That's where it gets into kind of a dicey thing of like, no, I've seen that. It's a thing. Like, is it? Is it really just mm-hmm. because you've seen it? It's a thing, or like, you know, I mean, there. That's that's where that's where kind of that 
you know, making observations from the wild and then applying it unilaterally, I think gets can get a little weird when it's like I've seen that, but I haven't seen it enough to to say that. Yeah, I guess my, you know, uh, counter to that is that he he did it. He did it in captivity. You know, he took uh, first, you know, king snakes or whatever. I, you know, I wasn't around for that phase of his uh, captive breeding, but I definitely watched the monitor breeding. And man, he was he was knocking it out of the park with monitors. Where before nobody had really done that well with them. Sure, you know, especially like multi clutching them and things. So he he proved that by demonstrating that those key concepts that he'd learned in the field, not necessarily all from monitors, but from maybe desert lizards in general applied fairly broadly. And so he kept monitors all this, you know, pretty much all the same. And, Mm -hmm. and granted he had more success with some than, than others, you know, he probably had, uh, he was probably trying to fit all of them into too narrow of a box maybe, but you know the proof was in the pudding. Sure, he knocked well, it out. Of the his, park I mean, and, and you know, it's <laughs> so, it's it's you like know, you can't you can't. Wh- deny where did that where his, did his giant insights come from? His giant insights came from from herping. heating, heating, and feeding, mm-hmm. which he did from observation. Those are two very broad things that he noticed that mm-hmm. really you know changed the game. Yeah. And and yeah, you know whether he noticed that in king snakes and then applied it to varanids or or however, but. It, well, he, it, he noticed in king snakes, and then he went to Australia and noticed in varanids and, and saw the abundance of then, prey items at certain times of the year. And it's and one so of those things where it's like eat, through you know? through that observation, he made a very broad but but very profound insight. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of surprising that he was the first person to really make that insight, but. Um, you know, here we are. So, and he, um, he may not have been the first person to make that and insight, but he was the fair. first herpetoculturalist to make that insight and apply it to his keeping yeah. and have, you know, success beyond what was enjoyed before that time. So, I mean, that's kind of the, you know, the idea kind of behind my side is that, you know, you can make those observations and apply the correct ones and, and you'll be successful in, in keeping in, well, in captivity as well. I, I, and, you know, I, I think you're 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 kind of talking like if you go out in the wild and you see this and you do it, you will be wildly successful. No, you, you may enjoy some more success. You may have an insight that helps you do better or keep better, but you may still struggle in the same time because this is you know it's not just like you you take an observation from the wild you bring it home and then there's success there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happens when you're breeding anything um that can affect your outcomes um and so you know i think just just saying like well you know you go out and you you know there's there's people who i know who field herp and have crap years like they just don't breed anything is that is that the environment that year and the where they live is that that they just weren't paying attention that year is it that you know um they 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 learned all the wrong things from field herping and in in australia you know like what like like or in, insufficient data you know uh, so if they had more the stats, data, you gotta that, have the stat sig, man. Okay. You gotta, you gotta so have more. If, if they were stat sig, then they would be hugely <laughs> successful. But since they're 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 insignificantly, you know, they're in sig. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they haven't. Then they, haven't then, then they cannot enjoy the the the, <laughs> the wild success which waits the stat sig 
Herper. And I'm not saying, you know, of course they're... they're That's what you're asserting there, is is they just need to be... They're book learners, but, but you you know, a lot of people learn better by kind of getting out there and experiencing it, doing it, being in the environment kind of thing. Um, And, you know, our our glorious podfather has, has, uh, you know, uh, made some key observations and said that, you know, this is upped his game and changed his his keeping uh, regimen and things. Yeah, but, uh, I mean... Yeah, but he went over to Australia and he saw diamond pythons. But did he produce diamond pythons this year? I don't know if he saw diamond pythons. I don't, well, I don't know if he has sufficient observations. On ah, <laughs> okay. I don't right. know. You know, I I don't know. I don't even know if he's been in the Sydney area. So, you know, that I think that's probably high on his list to go see. So clearly, wild. so clearly, he just lacks the firsthand experience in the wild, and that is why I don't know. He's I mean, I'd admit with- I I don't have enough first-hand experience in the wild with like carpet pythons i've seen a handful in the wild but i wouldn't yet, say yet that you had a good year the, the snapshot yeah i mean i i don't i mean so you know, and I think, and, again, and you and you out of things, anybody but. is carpet python herper extraordinaire uh compared to a lot of people in the states and you would think yeah, you of all there. people <laughs> i know but uh, you would think yeah. by your rationale you of all people would be you know, having the best, but but didn't like isn't this like the first year you've actually produced carpet pythons for a while because you've had some you know didn't do so good last year and that wasn't because you didn't go over to Australia and and do herping it's because you moved and you had a crap year so yeah. you know I, I hear what you're saying but don't don't over represent your position in this. Oh, I'm not. I'm saying, yeah, I don't have. Su- I was saying I don't have sufficient observation, even though I've seen several in the wild. It's not like I've studied. You know, I, I've read more than I've observed. Let's put it that way. So I'm not saying you can't learn this thing through the book, but I think a lot of times the book learning clicks a lot better when you're seeing it in action, when you're seeing it in the field, and so that's you know that's kind of my. Uh, Field herping definitely increases your understanding of of book learning. I would say. It's I more think of field hands herping. On. I think field herping challenges your conventional wisdom about what you're keeping. I don't necessarily Possibly. think yeah. that it, it it always makes you better at breeding. Or I think I think you're. You're more open to ideas that because you have experiences or you see something, but but I don't know that you know I don't know that you're going to go go out into the Sydney area, find diamond pythons, and come away like that's it. I know how to breed these fuckers. I got this, and and then you have success. You know what I mean? I don't think it works like that. You can go out and you can. You know, you can interact with them in the wild. You can see the situations. You can take temperatures. You can kind of make some like, okay, I, I, I have, I have some significant inclinations into mm-hmm. their their physiology, their you know reproductive habits. But by no means does that mean that you're going to be able to just take that home because you went and did that and translate that into success. But but you can 
I mean, you can you can formulate a lot better hypotheses in the field than you can sitting on your couch. I would I would counter. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Like you get there and you go, I bet this is significant, or I bet this is important, and you can go home and prove it. You know, you can go home and try it out and see if it makes a difference. Like you know the old Terry uh, Terry Phillip adage of you I know knew Terry rattlesnakes. I knew shoveling uh, yeah, snow was coming up in this. You gotta you gotta have it. the shoveling snow quote oh my because God. yeah, that's not. Not a, a, a condition in the well, but I mean the temperature. It's you know, not a condition in the wild. Could be important. It's not. A, it is, and I'm just saying if you had a large enough cage and you let it snow in there, you'd probably be okay. And maybe you know? if prairie rattlers <laughs> had arms, they would shovel snow into their cage. How do you know, sir? <laughs> that's exactly what I'm driving at. I knew that's you what need you were to driving attach at. arms to snakes to see if they will shovel snow. Now, um, now we're getting somewhere. We we uh, of course you can mis misinterpret things and you know I think most definitely a good example of that is uh, Gila monsters where you know most zoos are, and maybe this is just because they're displaying them and they want people to be able to see them but Gila monsters spend the majority of their time in a tight little crack yeah. underground you know yeah. and so if you're keeping them in a zoo that's not very exciting for the viewer to get a glimpse of a Gila, you know, from deep inside of a crack. And so, you know, they have to find creative ways to try to keep them. But, but if they want to breed them, they take them back in the back and they put them in a little tub, shove them in a crack and and small. And then they go, here's, you know, here's how you breed Gila monsters. And that's kind of the secret to breeding Gila monsters is you replicate that wild, you know, natural history element of their uh, you know keeping and stuff but i'm i'm sure it well, took a I, lot of people I mean, I, a lot of hours to observe that and say but they're mostly down in a crack and, but and they, they try it in captivity and it helps you know but but they so they'll stick them in a tub which is tight and small and they'll feel safe and that will that will put them you know in a, in better conditions to breed right now are they you know creating a a a giant lem crack so that they can shove them in there and then they're like ah i'm in a lem crack now i can breed that's all i needed was a good lem crack and and now i'm gonna reproduce i you know what i'm saying like i think i think will you tell me where that came from lem cracks the successful breeding of gila monsters using tight tubs (laughs) tubs <laughs> well I, where did that come from I, i'm not i'm not arguing the fact that the natural history informs the success what i'm arguing yeah. is that the insight is comes from ah they like tight spaces they're often found in tight spaces when we try to breed these tight spaces is important not misconstruing the idea that ah these guys are found shoved into rocks or they're down in burrows they will only breed when they're shoved in a rock or down in a burrow no they'll breed in a tub or whatever but you have to put them in the right kind of situation in order to make it successful i.e don't don't make the condition too specific right make the insight at the proper level of ah they like tight spaces and then figure out how you make those sure, tight how spaces, to right? That. Like that's but, but the, that's the. But it all comes back to what was observed in the wild by a field. Uh, absolutely, person, you know, and or, I'm not. Or, 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 we're we're yeah. we're same page there. We're same page okay. there. Yeah. I just you know there's you, you, you. I guess what I'm saying is you could get those people who are like, oh, I am going to breed heel monsters, and I went out 
and went to Arizona, and I saw them shoved into these tight rocks. So the only way you breed Gila monsters is by shoving them into these tight rocks in captivity to get them. Re- no, no, no. You missed. You missed the insight. You. I mean, you hit it, but you. You. You know. You walked right into it rather than mm-hmm. catching it before it slapped you in the face. Right? Mm. Does that make sense? I think so. I I'm think agreeing with you. Saying. Okay. I'm agreeing yeah. with you. You can you can just But you're saying it could be misconstrued. It could be like misconstrued. You, you like, could like you, provide the wrong element and say this I'm is not, what's I, important. I'm not saying yeah, I, I'm saying that you could be too specific. And you could say yeah. that ah, you know, these it things has to, has be, to be in yeah, exactly, exactly. You 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 get so fixated on the situation that you find it in that you miss mm. the bigger point mm-hmm. of of why it's there. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I I want to bring up this topic because I think this has been very applicable to my. Um, herpeticultural experiences when I go out field herping and I find a species in the wild that I keep in captivity it increases my excitement and drive to keep them properly and keep them happy and and make you know almost try to replicate what I saw in the wild in my herp room you know so I basically have that experience reliving itself in, in my herp room that I had in the wild. And of course that's very difficult because, um, uh, we, we don't have the unlimited space and you know, that kind of thing. But you know, it's really made me up my game and try to keep my stuff better. Mm -hmm. And, and it's also kind of taken my excitement away from the, the morphs and the, you know, irregularities and makes me appreciate the wild type because that's what I saw in the wild. And I saw how they, you know, integrated into their environment and they blended in with the rocks and things like that. And I, and I've heard Eric say this quite a bit too, that, you know, that you, you, you appreciate what you have a lot more after you see it in the wild and, and, and get excited about it. And so I think that, you know, definitely corresponds with an increase in, uh, better care and, and concern for the animal and things like that. So I think that's another benefit of field herping in regards to keeping in captivity. I like that you say that until the one hour point where you're like, all right, he can't even argue this. I'm just going to hit oh, him no, with it. We, at we the went one two hour hours last week. I know we did. We would not shut up last week, but I'm that not, crazy. I, I'm not trying to argue this for two hours, but no, and, yeah. and I can't, I, you know, I mean, yeah. look, I'm never going to argue against anything that, increases somebody's you know um excitement for something that they keep because they went out and see it in the wild like i kind of think that's part of the whole point of herping is is to go out and see something that maybe you know maybe not that you don't necessarily keep i don't necessarily keep rattlesnakes but i'd love to go see them in the wild but at the same time like that that you know being in the environment where uh a snake that you keep uh, comes from and and it's you know you're 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 just kind of in you're in it right and and um mm-hmm. you know I, I, yeah i i can't really uh i can't really um say anything to you know well then then i'll give you something because i also find that when i see something in the wild that makes me want to keep it in captivity and that can be a dangerous slippery slope you know what i mean like then you get into stuff you maybe you know doesn't fit in very well with your reptile room, or you're like, oh, what did I 
get, what did I collect this for? Why did I get this? It doesn't really fit. You don't think it through because you're so excited and high from seeing it in the wild that you just go home and buy one or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, so I mean I, it can really get you excited for stuff maybe you shouldn't be keeping. <laughs> I almost feel like, I, I almost feel like you don't need help with that. But yeah, I, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's you're the, the one problem. who's there's definitely so like, many. Yeah, you're always the cool one who's like, there's always so many there. cool reptiles. Yeah. Um, and but, I, but, I mean, but, like, but by your rationale, I mean, all you need to do is go out and find them in the wild and you should be able to bring them back and keep them better because you found them in a wild. No, I, I would say you probably have a better chance than somebody who's never seen them in the wild. Even you know, though they many, don't fit in with anything that you're are, doing or anything like that. Yeah, but how many things are kept just in, you know, we didn't know what we were doing because nobody had information in the wild. I think that's very applicable to green tree pythons. Everything, oh, sure. hot tropical forest. Let's give them a 90 degree, you know, temperature basking spot and then we'll feed them rats and, and they'll do great. And, oh, surprise, surprise, that doesn't work so well. And so, you know, why are my females dropping dead at the, you know, <laughs> at three years old or five years old? And, well, maybe it's because they, they don't have 90 degrees. They're pretty much 70 degrees all year long and they live in, you know, a dense forest and it's fairly cool and their uh, their meals are few and far between. You know, those kind of things that, again, somebody seeing them in the wild made those observations, published those results, and then we could kind of have a paradigm shift in how we keep things. Now, it's not to say that, you know, you have to keep something exactly like it's kept in the wild. Again, we don't necessarily have to shovel snow in. And maybe some things don't even necessarily need a cooling period. And, you know, it's not as firmly wired as as uh, we think it is or, you know, those kind of And then I think the other, port, the other point here that's worth bringing up is that I think the longer generations sit in captivity, the less mm. relevant their their natural history may become in in how you know i i think yeah oh definitely you know like a, a um you know something that's well, been line bred for for two decades yeah. probably the domestication yeah, of is these so far animals, removed like from its wild yeah exactly leopard geckos yeah. or whatever yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean so you have to kind of be careful when you're you know when mm-hmm. you're doing that and i think hey it's good you know it like you can make you can make conclusions based on natural history or, or, or field observations in situ that mm-hmm. inform about, you know, parameters that are definitely okay for the animal to exist in, but always kind of you need to take in context, um, you know, what what's in front of you, what yeah. you're dealing and, with. And I do think there is kind of a, a process of figuring out what – what conditions are really critical mm-hmm. and what are kind of secondary conditions for success, yeah. you know, um, and, and, and working those out can take a long time and take, you know, experimentation or take, you know, trying to f- trying different things. And that can also lead to less success when you're changing up things year after, year, after year, you know? And so that's, uh, that's kind of the, the negative side of that. So somebody in your position who has a lot of different, you know, a large group of the same species, you can try different conditions on different pairs. Now, of course, you know, stat sig, you got to have your numbers and your, and your time and your observations and things, but you know, seeing, seeing how they behave in the wild and seeing them in the wild, it just 
increases your chances and, and gives you maybe more insights or things to think about. And but conversely, that could give you more things. Oh, I need to try this. I need to try this. I need mm-hmm. to try this. And you're changing things endlessly. And you can also chase your tail, you know, negate that, yeah. and, and reduce well, and, your success. And, and and you know, I mean, I, I think I think there's a level of like, okay, I've never been, you know, I've never been to the Halmahera Island chain, uh, but I I kind of have a broad book, you know, based set of assumptions about that and i think that coupled with consistency probably leveraged better results if i would have went there maybe i could have drawn some conclusions but i don't know that 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 would have been you know because i i can't always bring you know equatorial uh climate to to southern california i can bring mediterranean climate which you know not the same but but you know has has some has some attributes um so you know some of it's the hand you're dealt a little bit yeah um yeah but you know nobody can ever take away the knowledge that you gain while you're while you're out there field herping you know that area um and making those insights that's 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 definitely true that's definitely true mm-hmm. so yeah. and and i think the more people that get out and, and experience things in the wild the more you can discuss ideas and the more you can bounce off ideas and and ask them if they've tried this or that or the other you know so it is good to have connections to people that live in the habitat of the things you like and that go out and observe them on a on a daily basis and or a weekly whatever you know regular basis and you know i found a lot of um got a lot of benefit out of you know field herpers in australia that are out observing these things and they can give you on boots on the ground insights because you know one one another great example of that is when i before i went to australia I thought, okay, jungle carpets look like this, coastal carpets look like this. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have these these yeah. images in your head because the predominant lines in the U.S. look like that. And you get over there and you see this huge diversity, and you're like, oh, I had no clue. You know, I thought this was this and that was that. And so you're arguing things that are not necessarily true. And know, that's why. And you that's why your limited, narrow experience. That's, you know? that's why Aussies think we're wankers. <laughs> Well, you know, the shoe <laughs> fair enough. Now there, then again, you know, there's a lot of Aussies out there. There's a bunch of bogans. But oh, nice. <laughs> Got to pull out the Aussies. Yeah. No. Um, I don't know. This is a, an interesting topic. You know, I definitely think that, uh, and you know, this goes to anything. Any observation can lead you closer to or further away. And, and sometimes we get down the wrong track and, and we have to kind of readjust and, and collect the data. And if you're not necessarily collecting the right data, that could lead you down the wrong path as well. Yeah. So it's all, it's, it's, and it's, you know, fairly complicated, but I do think there are some of those things like we discussed earlier that are kind of universally can be universally applied, you know, reptiles are ectothermic. So they need some kind of external heat source and some some need it more than others and some need it more intensely than others and you know things like that but um those kind of broad conclusions can be kind of fine-tuned as you get into the species a little more and if you start out more broadly and kind of refine as you go you might have 
better success along the way if you're out gathering more information from the wild. But um, that's kind of maybe how I'd finish this thing out. I don't know. Cool. Unless you have some more nope. burning topics or burning ideas in your mind. Nothing burning. It's all smoldering now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pile it's of rubble. Burned down. It's smoldering. Yeah, it's burned down. <laughs> yeah, we we burn this topic the fire, to the ground. The fire is out. <laughs> well, if we missed anything, uh, you listener out there, let us know, and you know we can maybe revisit this down the road or something. But I I love field herping. I think it's a it's one of the greatest things about you know being interested in reptiles is getting out and seeing them in the wild. And you know I. I I think like this last trip, right? I I I'd seen pictures and I'd read about black rattlesnakes uh and I I thought, you know, the Arizona black rattlesnake uh and I thought, you know, they're they're neat looking, but I didn't really appreciate them, you know. And then I see one in the wild and now I'm like those things are freaking cool and I want to read more about them and learn more about them and see them again in the wild and things like that. And I was finding different localities and saying, oh, they're not too far from, you know, they're, they're kind of northern Arizona, almost into Utah. So I can get into their habitat a little easier uh, if I go to you this You know what it is? It's like a crack. It's like here. a crack habit, you know? It is. You're like, you get, it's you're addicting. Like, it really is. Yeah. It's crazy. You get a you get a taste of that of that other kind of meth, yeah. and you're like, oh, this meth is great. I need some more of this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that <laughs> other crack is down in your area, your neck of the woods, and I'm like, dude, I'm jealous of where you live. You can just drive a, an hour or two over the mountain, and you're in such awesome habitat. That's so that. Many cool that's reptiles. that lem crack. Yeah, that Borrego area just calls my name. It's my my type of habitat. You know, yeah. I just love herping in the desert. Well, so. you know where I live. Yeah, well, I I think I've been out there a time or two. That's fair. You got, a, you got some catching up to do. Wow. <laughs> Get you out field herping, man. All right, well, this has been a show. We we're, we got a shout-out to the, the Podfather and, and his gang of... Um, ill repute uh, and his uh, co-host Owen and oh oh we're referring to him as the, Owen now <laughs> oh the Mac and Wookie. thank I'm you sorry. I'm sorry Mr. Coining of Terms <laughs> Mac and Wookie. give the guy give the guy his respect <laughs> what what else you've come up with some good ones man you're you're like the king of that Mac and Wookie, McPeakin yeah what else did you uh, what else you got man I feel like uh, there was more. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's uh, we're gonna have times. to good, we're gonna have crew. to work good, on good everybody else. We're, we're gonna have to give yeah. everybody. Everybody is gonna have to have a persona. Yeah, exactly. So. The new the new intern, the field herping intern. You haven't met Dustin? No, yet, you guys herp together, huh? He's a cool guy. Yeah. Nice. Oh yeah, he's he's the real deal. We we had some good times herping. Is he possibly <laughs> younger than Lucas? I think he, well, I don't think he's younger than Lucas. What was he, like 20? It's like, it is the battle of the baby faces Something now. Like yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he is married, so he's at least advanced beyond Lucas in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Lucas. Hey, no, Lucas, Lucas is Lucas living is, the good life, man. He, yeah. Nah, don't, well, he's, he, don't, he don't. Don't pigeon with the band. And yeah, he's don't getting a pi- lot of good animals. Don't, don't pigeonhole yeah, this kid, man. He's living his best life. 
Don't, don't do it. Baby in a cage. Yeah, don't man. Put baby no. in the corner. <laughs> no. In the cage. <laughs> don't put baby. <laughs> you in the can cage. put him in a cage. I mean, I Just guess. don't put him in the corner yeah. of the cage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lucas is the man. Um, Single yeah, I and mingle. To, need to get out her. But I think Lucas to, has a girlfriend. So again. yeah. So he's not far behind. Yeah, Dustin, he's is that he's. What you're well, there's there is a and, woman you know, trying I, to hey, tie him down somewhere. I, I'm I'm not out here trying to trying to rank the interns, you know. But uh, Urban with Dustin, do we was need a, was a, a great thing? We can rank the interns. I, I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm not above ranking of the interns. I'm I think not that, above I think that. that falls under I think that falls under Owen's jurisdiction. But I know. But that. again, he doesn't listen, so we well, can do whatever we want. We have the freedom. Man, he was sure. You know what? About us if he's not ranking the, us, stealing hey, his slot. Hey, you know? hey, right here, right here. <laughs> yeah. If he's not, yeah. if he's not ranking the interns, he's he's macking slacking. <laughs> <laughs> this brought to you by Chuck Pullen. <laughs> macking slacking. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, I I did the Schmitty tears. I gotta, you yeah. Know, I gotta give myself some. Dude, credit no, that's a good. Tours. That's a solid. That's a fun one. That that yeah. is a solid. And, and stat sig. Yeah. I came up with stat sig. Too, yeah. So both we're, solids. We're, uh, yeah. We're works. We're, we're some good coiners here, dude. Hey, we, and we we flip a coin every week. That's so, right. You know. We're we're hey, listen. We 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 are we are we are pulling our weight, Podfather. We are pulling our weight. We can't beat those in here week in and week out pulling our. (laughs) We can't beat those Aussies in our numbers, but Uh, we bring the heat. We bring. They've been falling behind lately. Have they? they? I guess uh, Luke had some rough. Was it Luke? He had. This is not the time for you to forget names. It's not. It's not. Damn it, man. (laughs) It doesn't matter when it is. No, I know. I know. Jason and Luke. Yeah. It was Luke. It was Luke. Okay. Fan of the Gill and I. (laughs) He he had I guess he had some he he released a YouTube video that was talking about how he had some crappy luck. Some of his animals died and couldn't figure out what was going on. So I, I was kind of watching his video while I was working, so I wasn't paying that close attention. So maybe he figured it out. But yeah, I'm sorry to sorry to hear that, and it's never fun to have those challenges. And I mean, that's kind of the downside of keeping live animals is sometimes they are not live anymore. So, yeah. um, but our you know condolences, and you know, hopefully you get things worked out and figured out what's going wrong. And um, but I mean. He's got a baby coming, like in a couple weeks here. Maybe it's already here. Who knows? So he's gonna have less time to compete with us. Ah! (laughs) Our children are grown. Let's take the challenge. Sucker. Our our youngest are thirteen, fourteen years old. You know. And and other than the hurt backs, this is the benefit of being older. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Yeah, I think Jason has a couple kids, right? He's he's got a couple, and and he's they're kind of getting him back into the reptiles a little more. There you so go. He kind of got out when he had them as babies, but now they're helping him get back in. Nice. So. The beauty of children—you can always, you know, justify your herb addictions by with your children. As long as you can get them into it, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good times. Well. Um, I don't know. There's some, been some fun content out there. I've been listening to a couple. Of the I saw um, the Venom Exchange podcast. Phil and Ipper interviewed Ty Iper. So I know. I saw that I episode. I it. haven't listened to it. I, I yeah. work has just been. I want to like sit down and really listen to that episode and 
give it give if, it all my full else, attention. nothing else, knowing that you know they took they interviewed Ty before they interviewed Scott. Scott, Ooh. <laughs> I wonder if he's hurt by that or you know I'm he's sh- probably. Proud I'm sure of he. I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he. I'm sure he's will, excited for his wife. He will be text. <laughs> he will be texting you as soon as this episode comes out if he is. Yeah, I, I know. mean, regardless, you get to hear the soothing voice of Nipper and Phil. I mean. You don't get many better voices in in the herp podcast industry as those two. So, yeah, that's a good one. They keep you buzzing, mate. <laughs> Completely buzzing. Yeah. Yeah. Any other good stuff? Check out Lizard Brain Radio. And yeah. Chuck's latest interview. He had some other cool guests on there too. Um, recently, what else did I see on there? I I thought it was the same because he isn't. Uh, Bill's not on that other podcast that you went on the tiny the Bill? tiny T- uh, he's not he's not on the was that tiny pint, hurt podcast what, pint, pint size reptiles pint size reptiles who's that on there um, that's that's Travis Travis yeah. is that Travis yeah. Wyman and and who are the other oh, I can't I I'm can't trying to remember but Bill's not on that one no, so no, I saw not. like the tiny geckos and I'm thinking is this just a re-release of the pint size so i need to listen to your interview i haven't done that yet so. you haven't no oh, you should listen no, to I'll it get to it i'm sure i no, said I some will. nice things about you oh yeah man. i did there you go you almost made me no, take him back no, with this be... fight but i won't do it i won't do it you deserve what <laughs> yeah. you you deserve the every week you, you have to have like a few days off of me so that's right that's right getting frustrated with yeah. my you know, superior logic and reasoning skills. Is that, is that why? Is that, is that Not why? sure that's what it is, but okay, no, we'll run with that. Let's run with that. We're running with that. Uh, sounds good, man. Well, I enjoyed the discussion. This is always good. You're you're a great one to debate with. So, thanks for your insights and thanks for debating the topic. So, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, we'll 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 be back again. We'll do this again uh, if you're willing. There's yeah. a big pause there. Are yeah. you willing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I, I, good, 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 I didn't know I actively good, good. had to participate in the answer there. I'm sorry. I yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I, maybe it was a rhetorical question. <laughs> I thought that's what yeah. it was. That's I, why I didn't say it. I am glad you're you're the yeah. host of the show. Yeah. And so it's you're really, the host awesome of the show. Recorded. It. I we're, am the we're, co-host. We're, we're the co-host. Stop. Stop. <laughs> so, Dude. Anyway. <laughs> I have covered this extensively. I am the co-host and you are the host. <laughs> All right, we'll go with that. Yes. Yeah. Um, thanks to NPR Network, the Podfather, for allowing us to record and release this show on his network. It's it's a great uh, system. Eric does all the work. All we have to do is get on here and spout our nonsense, and then he makes all the magic happen. So thanks, Eric, and and your uh, band of. What did I call them? Band of ill repute? No. Ill repute. Yes. I believe <laughs> yeah. that's what you said. All right. So uh, thanks to the NPR Network. Check them out on all the socials, all the meads. Is that what the cool kids are saying? <laughs> Don't ask me what cool yeah. kids are saying. Oh, that's right. We're old. Yeah. Okay. Well, check them out on TikTok because uh, that's where all the cool kids go. No, check them out on Instagram, Facebook, Morelia Python Radio Network. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, you want to check them out on the Morelia Python Radio Network. But you can also check them out on MoreliaPythonRadioNetwork.com. Okay, on the website. On the website. website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. My brain is uh, 
empty now, and I think it's time to go. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of Reptile Fight Club. Field herping. It works 60% of the time, every time. Fight Club. 